It's time. For the Cinco de Mayo version of Fighting for the Faith. You know, um, I haven't really noticed a lot of people celebrating Cinco de Mayo here in Indiana. Just not seeing that fiesta spirit out here in Indiana. Well, compared to Southern California, I mean, Cinco de Mayo is a big deal in Southern California. And the lady at the grocery store said, Cinco de what? All right, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and compare what people are saying to the Word of God. Because there's a lot of people who kind of shoot from the hip when it comes to uh, apparently uh, what the gospel is, what the message that we should be preaching is, you know, things like that, and and uh it in fact it seems like nowadays you can garner yourself a very big following of people if you just jettison biblical teaching and just get really creative and, uh, and so we take the creative guys to task here at uh, Fighting for the Faith because that's our service to you. And uh, just because we're comparing what people say to the word of God does not exempt me or anything you hear on Pirate Christian Radio to uh, this little exercise. In fact, you could uh, compare what I say to the Word of God, compare what Wilkin and Wilkin says to the Word of God, or Swirl, or any of those guys that are on Pirate Christian Radio. You compare them to the Word of God also. This, this, is, this is not a one-way street. This is a two-way highway in that sense. Well, we've got a good program lined up for you today for a Tuesday, a Cinco de Mayo and boy, I kid you not. There's not much going on out here. It, apparently, um, the uh, south of the border immigrants are not that big of. Uh, they don't have a big enough population out here to really get the kind of news that. We, anyway, feeling homesick again. I could really use an authentic, oh, an authentic burrito right now. Anyway, tough to find good Mexican food, too, by the way, especially if you – and In-N-Out. Okay, listen, you folks out there that have been emailing me about the fact that there's no In-N-Out burgers here in, in Indiana, I want you to know that I'm about ready to switch my position regarding the doctrine of purgatory uh, just because of those emails. Those of you evil enough to email me and rub it in about the fact that we don't have In-N-Out burger here in Indiana, that's it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start believing and defending the doctrine of purgatory and praying that you go there. Okay. I don't want you to not go to heaven. I just want you to. <laughs> oh, man. All right. We got a good show uh, program lined up today. We're going to be doing some listener email. We're going. Oh, boy. Um, are you a terrorist? You might be a terrorist now um, and not even know it. Uh, we're going to be listening to a news story that came across the uh, Fox News channel that uh, somebody uh, posted a link to on my uh, Facebook wall. And uh, got to play that because it does talk about what's going on here. Um, may or may not get to McLaren today. It depends because tomorrow we got. I'll be doing an interview with Bob DeWay, at, uh, the first of two interviews regarding his book on the emergent church. And then uh, got some news story. A news story here uh, from Great Britain. Uh, U.S. Uh, churches are using Twitter to reach a wider audience, and this is the one I cannot wait to get to. 
Uh, news story also out of Great Britain. Male worshipers like to sing macho songs in church. I, I could have told you that. But, uh, in fact, we have a little uh, piece we do here at Pirate Christian Radio that kind of addresses that particular issue. But uh, now we've got hard evidence coming out of the U.K. on this one. And uh, and then we're going to read a... Well, our, we might not... Depends... Well, we might talk about this uh, woman who... A Christian pastrix who is basically saying that abortion is a blessing... Yeah, I can't wait to do that piece. And then we're going to be continuing our our march to the book of Exodus, and we're going to look at uh, finish up Exodus chapter four and move into chapter five. And then we're going to do a sermon review entitled "Overcoming Helplessness." I mean, hopelessness, hopeless, overcoming hopelessness. And uh, just the title of this one um, it makes me feel hopeless. Anyway, but to, we'll we'll see if uh, if there's you know I mean hopelessness seems to be a big a big issue nowadays because you know we need to have more than just hope for uh, a future a future home in heaven we have to have hope for tomorrow and so we'll see what uh, this pastor from Water's Edge Church is going to dish up regarding hopelessness and overcoming hopelessness see if uh, Gospel of Jesus Christ makes its uh, makes an appearance front and center or a cameo appearance or if they like yesterday's sermon just uh erwin mcmanus style preaches the law but never the gospel <clears throat> yeah interesting uh our review yesterday okay got an email here from joe in uh, richland washington and he says i just got done listening to the that pastor who kept saying give god a chance yeah just give god a chance that would be pastor chris songson from south uh South Hills Church in uh, in Corona, California. He says, one, this sounds to me like this pastor just got done reading The Shack. And <laughs> uh, Yeah, I think that uh, Chris Songson probably would, would view The Shack in, favorable, in a favorable light, which is not that good. And then he says, your notion that this church acts like they have Jesus tied up backstage is very true. Yeah, that's one of the, the metaphors that I'm using now is that a, a lot of these churches that only preach the law or feel-good sermons and things like that, these guys, I, I, I'm telling you, Jesus, they've got him gagged, they got duct tape over his mouth, they got his hands and wrists bound, and they keep him in a in a burlap sack right, right off stage. And with you know, every now and then they take the sack off and and parade him out on stage and say, "See, we're Christian. Here's Jesus." And then they take him into the back room and and put the sack back on him. And uh, you know, because this is also known as the gospel crumb. You've heard me the metaphor that I use that that thing comes in about Mach five, Mach ten, Mach fifteen, and some of them. You know, we have to actually use the Star Trek terminology. That one came in at warp factor six. Um, because I mean, basically it's, it's some kind of an allusion to the gospel that's supposed to make it a Christian sermon, but the, the, it comes in and comes out so quickly and there's no context for it, uh, that you can hardly call it Christian. Anyway, uh, uh, Joe continues to says, um, he says that this pastor, you know, the one that has the Jesus tied up backstage, better hope that uh, Jesus, uh, that he doesn't have the Jesus, the ultimate fighter. He's got uh, that he's got tied up backstage because 
If it is, that dude's going to bust out the ropes and walk out on stage and turn that pastor into a human pretzel. So this begs the thought. I am I'm entertaining this email just because it, it has such fun word pictures. He says, this begs the thought. If he had a signature wrestling move, this would be Jesus the ultimate fighter. Would Jesus? What would his signature wrestling moves be? How about the gospel's elbow or the submission hold called the law or a folding chair? We can call that the judgment seat. Joe, that was very clever. Thank you for sharing that email. All right, uh, Kevin writes. He says, "This Irwin Mc this Irwin McSermon is so painful." <laughs> this is what the email says. He says, "I mean, painful. I'm jumping through my skin. Will it ever stop? I don't know how you do it, bro. Thanks for taking the brunt <laughs> of all of this for us. Yeah, apparently I have a very high pain threshold because." Uh, you know, there's a great line from uh, from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Uh, Steve uh, 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 Martin is being very crass and mean in discussing his his uh, relationship with Del Griffith. And he says, I can sit through insurance seminars and people will say, how do you do it? Well, because I've been with Del Griffith. Well, um, in, in a similar way, <laughs> hey, how, how do you sit through all these sermons, Chris? How do you not pull your hair out? It's like, <laughs> well, I've been doing this now for, you know, actually I've been researching this stuff for the better part of three, four years. I've been doing the radio show for almost a year now. And um, got to tell you, you know, it's just part of doing the job. You, you know you know how doctor, you know, well, let me put it this way. People who... Uh, pick up dog poop for a living, eventually gets to the point where, yeah, there's not much of a smell to it. But other people would gag and barf and you know, if they came in contact with some of the things they did. I think that's kind of my job. I'm kind of a spiritual pooper scooper. <sighs> it just makes me feel so great about what I do. I'm going to cry. <laughs> anyway, Michael Ritzman, the, uh, the dark arts accountant, uh, <laughs> writes regarding the, the potential of having a pirate Christian radio conference on the emergent church he says dude bro i'm totally down for that i have no idea what any of that meant i'm not that cool uh michael you know that we've met he says but uh, you have to call it something better than the klingon name something piratey like pirate christian radio's first national conference keel hauling the emergent scourge <laughs> yeah <It's laughs> He says, say it out loud. Say it in a piratey voice. Arr, Keel Harling, the emergent scourge. The very first pirate Christian radio conference. Yeah, I'll work. I like the idea, though. Thanks. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Moving along. Um, next email comes from Brian. He says, uh, first, I want to uh, uh, say that I really appreciate your ministry. I often listen to Fighting for the Faith podcast while I'm working at my computer. Last week, I haven't had my family listen to a portion of the podcast from March 24th. It was a blessing, that, such a blessing that I had to share it. So thank you so much, and please keep up the great work. Thank you, Brian. Again, my job here is the, I serve you and the body of Christ, the work that I do. So that's, I appreciate the fact that that's, it's it's been a blessing to you and you're growing from it. He says, now to my question. During the last presidential election, my eyes were opened to some things that were both surprising and disturbing to me. Before the election, I naively assumed a level of unity in the Christian church that I now see doesn't exist. In my, in my life, I began to encounter Christians who were willing to support a person 
who would allow the killing of human fetuses. And I began encountering Christians who believed we should not judge a fellow Christian because they preferred sexual contact with a person of the same sex. I even began encountering Christians who didn't see that people like Rob Bell were not preachers of the true gospel, but a false one. My question to you is, should I divide with these professing Christians who hold these opinions? I'm really struggling with this. I don't want to be divisive. I have shared my thoughts with some of these people trying to show them from the Bible where they are in error, and it doesn't seem to make any difference to them. They believe what they believe, and apparently nothing I can say will persuade them otherwise. Uh, can, can I continue in fellowship with them? Um, I want to serve and worship the, uh, with these fellow believers in unity, but I'm having trouble getting over this. So I guess my, I'm asking, where is the line? When do I say to my fellow Christian, until you repent, I'm sorry, but I can't fellowship with you as my brother. I know what Matthew 18 says, but these things I'm talking about are not overt sins. Actually, they're not sins against you, uh, but gray areas for many people. And as I said, they appear to be very pervasive in the church in the U.S. today. I hope that you can help me gain some biblical perspective on this. Well, first of all, let's kind of take this backwards, you know, kind of worst case scenario and then work it back. Anybody who has a different gospel than the biblical gospel, okay, is, is you don't actually have true Christian fellowship with them at all. So um, in a situation like that, you saying, um, I can't fellowship with you, or you know, a better way to put it is, is that, listen, we are not in Christian fellowship because you don't believe the same gospel that's taught in the Bible. You believe a different gospel. As a result of it, I have a responsibility to not put on a false air as if we we have fellowship when we don't okay um so you know, and so that you don't want to do anything that would create the illusion that you have christian unity with somebody who preaches and teaches or believes a false gospel so that's out of the question you, those people you're to treat like unbelievers and which begs the question how are you to treat an unbeliever Oddly enough, the way we treat an unbeliever is really well. Why? Well, an unbeliever, we need to tell them of their sins and call them to repentance and call them to faith and belief in the gospel for the forgiveness of their sins. So um, we don't mistreat unbelievers and we don't mistreat people who think that they're believers and aren't. Instead, we lovingly, carefully, taking the time to... You know, through careful instruction, show them what the scriptures teach and call them to repentance and faith in the true gospel for the forgiveness of their sins in Jesus's name. Now, at some point, um, you know, in a situation where, you know, you're kind of in a mixed bag situation from what it sounds like to me, you got you're either part of a Christian group that there's a wide diversity of doctrinal belief or you're in a church where uh, the pastor's pretty much uh, allowed the Wild West to uh, take over, and it's whatever you believe and and, uh, and and anything goes. In a situation like that, you've got a, you've got a bigger problem. Okay, the bigger problem at this point is that you, as a Christian, need to be in fellowship and uh, in a church where there's a pastor who's delivering God's word correctly. Inter- properly giving you the gospel and and a true f- Christian fellowship where you're receiving the Lord's Supper uh, with other believers for the forgiveness of your sins. These are important things, and you 
you know, you don't want to remain, you don't want to be the lone ranger in the wild, in a wild west church. That's not a good thing for you to do. Now, I was in a situation where I was invited, called, if you would, to teach at a church that didn't hold to the same confessions that I did. Now, this was is something that I took, uh, you know, I, I weighed the decision very carefully and kind of looked at the ins and the outs of it. And, and basically, through the help of some other friends of mine and really praying about it, came to the conclusion that I would go ahead and take that teaching position and consider myself to be a missionary, okay, in that situation. And the goal of which was for me to uh, week in and week out within my office as a teacher in that church to proclaim Christ and him crucified and to bring the gospel and to be a light for the gospel of Jesus Christ until such a time as they would throw me out. Now, they didn't throw me out, but uh, it, it, it really got difficult at the end, but that's a different story. But during that time, um, my family and I, we consider ourselves to be missionaries, and we also attended a church whereby we were hearing the gospel preached to us and receiving the sacraments in a community of believers that truly believed the same thing we did and that we had fellowship with. Okay, This is the only thing that kept me sane during that time. Now, if we look at the Apostle Paul and his, and his uh, missionary outreach to, uh, you know, when he went on his missionary journeys, he would always breeze into town, and the first place he would plop himself down most of the time was the local Jewish synagogue. And what did he do in the synagogue? Is that he would plead with, argue with, demonstrate, and show from the scriptures that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament scriptures. And he would try to convince, well, actually, he understood that it wasn't his job to convince, it was the Holy Spirit's job to convert, okay? Our job as apologists, as Christians, as, as evangelists, as anybody who's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, ultimately, it's not our job to convince people. No, nope. Paul says, uh, one plants another waters, and it's God who brings the increase. We don't believe that somebody can become a Christian by their own reason or, or, or thinking, okay? It's not like they're going to sit there and go, you know, that's just a really, really good argument. I think I'm going to become a Christian. Uh, no, somebody becomes a Christian literally by a miraculous act of the Holy Spirit through the means of grace. That would be, you know, the gospel, preaching the gospel. And so as a result of it, you got to understand, it's not your job to convince people. It's your job to deliver news. Your job includes showing them what the scriptures teach, taking thoughts captive, uh, and making them obedient to Christ, which it sounds like what you've been doing. And it doesn't end there, but it also continues to the most important part, okay? The most important part being the proclamation of the gospel and calling people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. Sometimes somebody will listen to you and God will work and they will repent. Other times they will hear you and they will hear what you have to say regarding the scriptures and nothing happens for a long, long time. You've planted seeds. God then maybe will bring somebody else along later who will, pl- uh, who will water those seeds. 
And ultimately, it's God's job to make them grow. So you may or may not even see the fruit of your efforts uh, in your lifetime. And in fact, if you lose contact with some of these people, you may not ever know in this lifetime whether or not those seeds that you planted will take root. But never fear, God's word doesn't return to him void. Now, the other part of this is, is that sometimes when you're planting seeds, giving somebody God's word, preaching the law to show them their sin, their rebellion, their false doctrine, and giving them the gospel for the forgiveness of their sins, for their sin and rebellion against God and their false beliefs and idolatry and false doctrine, offering them the forgiveness of sins uh, as a result of their rebellion, sometimes people will hear that message and their hearts will stay hard. In fact, your preaching might actually, uh, the the Holy Spirit might actually use your preaching and your proclamation uh, to even further harden their hearts. The thing is, you have no control over what the Holy Spirit's going to do with the word that you plant. What do you do in that situation? One plants, another waters. It's God who brings the increased. So, now, what did Paul do? He would stay in those situations as long as he could, and and many times those situations would become untenable, uh, usually within a week or two. Um, he would, you know, proclaim the gospel, and sometimes the the synagogue uh, would, people would say, you know, we love what we're hearing. We're going to test this against the word of God, and we want you to come back next week and talk about it further. And sometimes they said, this is ridiculous. You want, expect us to believe that the Messiah was crucified on a cross come on the bible is clear everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed what what kind of fools do you take us for paul you expect us to believe that the scandal of of this idea that the messiah the son of god was was put to death on a cross like a common criminal that's ridiculous. That's preposterous. And in those situations, what what do you do? Well, Paul, if he wasn't stoned, would eventually shake the dust from his feet and move along. He would go to where the people would listen. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us to do. Okay, uh, Jesus says, when you go into a town, you know, if they listen to you, stay. And if they don't, Shake the dust off your feet and move along. Why? Because God's word is going to God's word is going to do what God's word is going to do, and you hanging around longer isn't going to make God's word do it any quicker. It happens the way it happens, the way God wants it to happen. And if someone's not listening to you, remember you can't convince them anyway. You can't do it. That being the case, it's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit wants you to get about the business of preaching this message to as many people as will listen. And if they won't listen, move along, move along. So anyway, Brian, basically what it boils down to is, is that it doesn't sound like you're in a situation where you have real true fellowship with some of these people. Preach the gospel, preach the law for the repentance of sins, preach the gospel for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. If they won't listen to you, understand it's not your job to convince them it's the Holy Spirit's job, and at some point you've got to move along. But more importantly, you need to be in a church 
where you are being uh, you are being given Christ and him crucified for your sins Sunday after Sunday being fed God's word and being fed the sacraments and where you have true Christian fellowship you actually need this you're not a lone ranger and there are no lone rangers in Christianity we're all part of the body of Christ and you need the other parts of the body as much as they need you so I hope that answers your question, but, uh, you know, again, it's, it wasn't exactly the easiest question. All right, uh, Nathan in Arkansas writes, he says, Chris, I was just listening to the Scars sermon review, and I was just infuriated and saddened by the way that the pastor, that would be Chris Songson, uh, the guy with the microphone, all we are saying is give God a chance. Anyway, he says, basically said that if you give Jesus a chance, that everything would get better. That wouldn't that be fall into the category of false advertising? Sorry, I, I I digress. We continue, and and he said that God would take care of us of that one issue that you want changed. He said in the video he in the video he showed before that before that the boy had a miracle healing. Uh, that's great, and God deserves all the praise for that. Not South Hills Church, by the way. Good point, uh, Nathan. He says, but what if the tests were positive? And the boy died. Now, this is a great question. He says, we had a little girl born three months earlier to a family that goes to our church. She lived for about three months and four days, and then she died. How would this pastor, that's Chris Songson, comfort the family? It has been a struggle for this family, and rightly so. The Bible does not say that we, do, we don't mourn, but we mourn not as those without hope, but as those who have the hope of eternal life. The baby was baptized. The pastor was able to preach that she is in heaven. Good point. Based on what? Based upon the fact that baptism delivers the very, the very things that God's Word says that it delivers. The forgiveness of sins, death and burial in Jesus Christ, a circumcision of the heart, a washing away of sins. You know, all of this stuff is promised in scriptures. Anyway, so our only comfort in times of tragedy is the sure and certain promises of God that Christ died for our sins, and that the forgiveness of sins is given through word and sacrament. I am so tired of this garbage that pastors are giving people because, yeah, it might make them feel better when things are fine and the only issue that you have is not finding a good parking space. But what happens when you get cancer? What happens when your spouse is in a car accident and dies? They have no answer for these for this problem. It is for this reason that I will always be a Lutheran because there is certainly uh, there is the certainty of salvation, not just pipe dreams. I thank God that he has given us this promise of eternal life. And I know I was rambling, but it really gets me worked up when a, quote, pastor takes hope away from people or doesn't even offer it at all. Yep, Nathan, you're right. And which is all the more reason why I would really like y'all to consider something, and that is is that we play a lot of stinky sermons here on, on uh, Fighting for the Faith. And they serve a purpose in teaching, uh, but I think our divine um, mandate goes beyond just teaching. 
we must continue to have men like Chris Songson and churches like South Hills Church and churches like Mosaic and pastors like Erwin McManus in our prayers. We must pray for these people. We must keep them in our prayers and not just allow our anger to be inflamed, but to let that righteous anger turn to godly, godly mourning and godly petitions to God that God would intervene on behalf of these people in these churches, on behalf of these pastors, and to, and to guide them out of this darkness into the glorious light of the gospel. In fact, there's this wonderful prayer that, that I enjoy from time to time, and let me read the prayer to you. I understand some of you are going to say, I'm putting God in a box and all that kind of stuff. Send me the emails. Uh, but regardless, there's a fine tradition within Christianity of, of sitting down and writing your prayers out and letting your thoughts really have some guidance to it rather than praying things like, and God, we just, we just want to just God, that just that you would just. Ugh. Here's this wonderful prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, you would have that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. By your mighty power and your unsearchable wisdom, break and hinder all of the counsels of those who hate your word and who by corrupt teaching would destroy it. Enlighten them with the knowledge of your glory, that they may know the riches of your heavenly grace in peace and righteousness, serve you, the only true God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So, folks, I want to remind you, as aggravating as these sermons are, when you hear these things in godly fear, get on your knees and humbly lift these people up to God and our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because if it were not for the grace of God, you could easily be the one attending a church like this and not seeing the blindness and the darkness that you were in. And by all means, wherever possible, reach out to them in love and give them the glorious message of the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ on the cross. Call them to repentance of their sins and call them to belief and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins wherever and whenever you have opportunity. And if you don't have opportunity, make the opportunity because it's, oh, so great to do that. All right, we're up on our first break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to take a look at the news. We're going to be looking at, uh, are you a terrorist? Yeah, I'm, I, I know you're sitting there. What do you mean, am I a terrorist? Well, believe it or not, Homeland Security might actually consider you to be a terrorist. Believe it or not. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. And uh, and then we're going to talk about these male worshipers like to sing macho songs in church. Story coming out of Great Britain. You don't want to miss that. So lots of good stuff coming up. Uh, if you'd like to email me, you can. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. You can ask to be my friend on Facebook. Look me up, Chris Roseborough. Or if you want to receive our secret subversive microblogging from 
Twitter, you can do so by following me on Twitter. Name there is Pirate Christian. Anyway, we'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> This is a resource made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. Hold on a second. You out there! to experience the presence of God if you are using a jackhammer! Shut up! Don't feel sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of Scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no, there's no there's no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of scripture: Judas hung him himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself. Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death? What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture? Next, 
Begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was, Judas hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time! I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something! If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way! Just open the Bible and read it! Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. We live in a time when there are full-out attacks against the gospel and sound biblical doctrine. One particular threat that you need to know how to protect yourself from is the attack against the doctrine of the penal substitutionary atonement. J.I. Packer called this doctrine the heart of the gospel, and this doctrine is now being openly attacked by liberals and emergents alike. This is why Pirate Christian Radio is featuring the book Pierced for Our Transgressions, Rediscovering the Glory of Penal Substitution. This book lays out the biblical underpinnings of this non-negotiable doctrine as well as its rich historical pedigree. After reading this book, you'll have a deep biblical understanding of what Christ accomplished for you on the cross as well as possess a sound biblical and historical defense against those who are attacking this important doctrine. Pierce for Our Transgressions is available at piratechristianradio.com and is only $25 plus $4 shipping and handling and all proceeds help to support Pirate Christian Radio. So log on to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith. I still like this bumper music. Huh. Who knew? <laughs> All right. Want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That's right. It's listener-supported, which means that your financial support is vital for us to continue bringing. Fighting for the faith to you. So, um, if you would like to partner with us, and we truly would like you to do that so that we can continue doing this, uh, you can uh, do so a couple of ways. You can visit fightingforthefaith.com and click on the donate button. That's right, the donate button will allow you to uh, make an online secure credit card uh, gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and uh, via PayPal. And uh, and if you would like to do it a the more traditional way, you know, via check, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box uh, Fisher uh, five zero eight Fishers Indiana zip code four six zero three eight. Okay, moving along here. Uh, Telegraph uh, got a news story. Oh, hang on a second here. Um, I've got to do this. We're gonna do this story first. Okay, I'm just 
making notes to myself here. Apparently, I talk to myself. What's really scary is is that um, from time to time, I answer myself. Um, can't really talk about that much, but that's a different story. Uh, here, here we go. From the Telegraph in the UK... Headline reads, U.S. churches use Twitter to reach a wider audience. See, I, who knew that I was, like, so cutting edge, you know? <laughs> I went, I, I, I kid you, those of you listening to this program know that I came to Twitter kicking and screaming. Just couldn't sally up to the terminology tweeting, you know? <laughs> What a name. Anyway, um, now I'm... Yeah, that's right. I'm an avid Twitterer. Anyway, yeah, we I use Twitter to uh, basically, while I'm researching during the day, if you'd like to see some of the stuff that goes on the cutting room floor, maybe things that I don't that I won't talk about, and then stuff I will talk about if you want to get a preview of what's coming on the program. And then subscribe to my twit, Twitter microblogging and uh, receive my subversive micro-tweets and uh, you'll get a feel for what I'm thinking during the day there. It's just, it kind of gives you a behind-the-scenes peek of what's going on. Anyway, uh, so the Telegraph in the UK has a story here that American churches are embracing Twitter, the microblogging website, in an attempt to reach congregation in acts of worship of 140 characters or fewer. Uh, this is from Tom Leonard, uh, who is a New York correspondent for the Telegraph in the UK, he says the sight of churchgoers typing messages into mobile phones during a service is becoming an increasingly common sight as clergy seek new ways of reversing declining attendance figures. Now, right off the bat, I read that sentence. I'm thinking, how exactly is that supposed to reverse declining? Well, okay. <laughs> I will say this, that I do believe that there's there is a substantial amount of people who are following my subversive micro-tweeting on Twitter who have never heard the radio program. So I guess it does expose the, you know, expose this radio program to a wider audience. But the thing is, is that I have no control over you know, who joins from what region of the country. If, For instance, if Fighting for the Faith only aired in the New York City metrop- metropolitan uh, market as far as on terrestrial radio... Um, you know, anyway, just, I'm sorry, my, my MBA mind just got kicked into gear and I need to pull it back. We'll continue reading the story. Pastors in West Winds Community Church in Michigan spent two weeks teaching their congregation about Twitter, (laughs) which allows users to send messages to each other, which are no longer than 140 characters of the church's 900 adult members. 150 are now tweeting. (laughs) Oh, God. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> the church encourages congregants to ask questions about a sermon that the pastor can answer later. So apparently you, this they're using Twitter to make sermons interactive. Alternatively, they can tweet during the service in a case in case another worshiper can provide enlightenment. <laughs> hey, the pastor just used the term simul justus et peccator. Anyone have any idea what that means? And then, you know, and then you put a hash sign in your church's name. Anyway, uh, the church has held at least a dozen Twitter Sundays at which tweets are flashed up on the on three large video s- screens during services. Next Level Church near Charlotte, North Carolina has two 
Twitter fests advertising parishioners, if God leads you to continue this as a form of worship, by all means, do it. <sighs> you got to admit, though, I, I, I got to say this, as silly as it sounds, Christians have always been early adopters of technologies and have used technologies as a means of getting the message of the gospel out. I mean, you, what would the Reformation have been without the uh, the movable type printing press? Without the the uh, the, Gert, the Gutenberg press? Yeah. What 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 would see? We've always been quick to adopt new technologies. You know, radio when it was new, television when it was new, um, and you know, the internet, blogging, and now microblogging. So this really shouldn't surprise us. It just I think it's it's funny because. It's a very twit, – Twittering is a very limiting form of communication. And in some cases, that's good. And in other cases, it can actually be a little aggravating. Anyway, Trinity Church, the venerable Episcopalian church on Wall Street in New York, used Twitter last month to perform the story of Christ over Easter. Followers of the relevant Twitter address received tweets from the main characters of the play for three hours on Good Friday, and the church also offered an internet version of the Stations of the Cross. At Mars Hill Church in Seattle, that would be uh, Driscoll's congregation, Mark Driscoll, the congregation is encouraged to type Twitter messages throughout the service uh, with the tweets appearing on the church's official Twitter page. Uh, Kyle Fistenberg, the church's administrator, said worshipers were tweeting about issues such as how the service affected them and what worship felt like to them. Well, hopefully, <laughs> what, what did worship feel like? We're, we're going to send up a, how did that, what, what did you feel during the service? Well, actually, I <clears throat> I had a breakfast burrito right before I got to church and <clears throat> I wasn't feeling so good. <sighs> anyway, it's a good way for them to tell their friends what church is about with their friends even coming in the, without their friends even coming in the building, he said. Cardinal Sean Brady, the leader of Ireland's Roman Catholics last week, urged social network users to start sending prayers each day. Uh, via text message, Twitter, or email. So it's, it's interesting to watch, um, you know, how this Twitter technology is being used. And I got to tell you, even though it sounds silly, I think there's some real valid uses here. And I'm, I got to give props to some of these churches. It, it, they're finding a creative way of engaging the people in their congregation. I, I prefer liturgical worship myself, but. Again, you know, it, 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 it's a, it's a medium. The medium itself is not evil or good. It's how you use it or abuse it. All right, now, which leads to my next question: Are you a terrorist? You know, you you, you know, I know you're answering this. Question. Well, of course, I'm not a terrorist. Well, don't be so quick to answer this question. I mean. Isn't what do they say? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Well, we've got a problem here in the United States, and that is is that we have a department, uh, a governmental department set up called the Department of Homeland Security, and apparently terrorism is in the eye of the president and uh, whoever's in control of homeland security. And I've got a real problem, and that is is that um, apparently. 
I'm, I could potentially be a terrorist, and so could you. Here's a story that aired on Fox News, and it's on YouTube. Uh, the American Center for Law and Justice has made this available on YouTube. And let me play this for you to kind of give you the flavor of what's going on here. This impacts you Christians out there, so listen carefully. Security says people who oppose abortion or worry about the threat of illegal aliens could pose a radical threat to America. They're the ones we need to be watching at Homeland Security. Why are conservative values suddenly being singled out as a terror threat? Yeah, there you go. So if you, uh, if you are an anti-abortionist, if you're pro-life and you're worried about border security and illegal, illegal immigration, well, you actually might be a terrorist now. At least that's what the uh, Department of Homeland Security might think about you. security sent to law enforcement agencies across the country warning about the potential for an increase in right-wing extremist activity. It warns about groups and individuals dedicated to single issues like abortion, immigration, and gun rights, and even raises a red flag about veterans returning home from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Some people, understandably, when they caught word of this yesterday, have issues today. Jay Allen Seculo, uh, Chief Counsel of the American Center for Law and Justice. How are you doing, sir? Good morning to you. What do you hey, make Bill. of this? Good to see you again. Well, listen, this is outrageous. I've got the report in my hand. I've read it. I couldn't believe it when I came out. Bill, I, wanted, I had our office verify that it was actually correct. When I read it, uh, there's one thing that's glaringly missing here. No discussion about the real terrorists, uh, the al-Qaeda cell groups and others that are located inside the United it's States. It's all about the most, It's, it's, it's yeah, not overseas. The most it, it literally changes the entire focus for the Department of Homeland correct. Security has been doing. Correct. And it says domestic terrorists, the most dangerous, are single-issue domestic terrorists. And as you said, that includes pro-lifers, that includes people concerned about the issue of immigration, and returning what they call radicalized veterans from the Iraq and uh, Gulf War. Interestingly, the whole article, the whole assessment, as they called it, is entitled Right-Wing Extremism, Radicalization, and Recruitment. I want to tell the Department of Homeland Security, do us all a favor, catch the real terrorists. Don't worry about the grandmother on the street corner holding up a pro-life sign or some guy that legally goes in and buys a gun for hunting. Uh, and returning veterans should be handled by Veterans Affairs to make sure they're incorporated back into the... Uh, yeah, just so you kind of get the idea of what's really going on here. Folks, if you are um, pro-life and maybe even an active pro-life person, maybe you've been known to protest um, you know, an abortion clinic or go uh, participate in a walk for life, uh, you could be considered to be a domestic terrorist now. Or if you, uh, you know, if you own a gun, you know, something like that, that that could uh, really be bad. Um, you, you know, you could be considered a domestic terrorist. But here's my question, just real quick for you Homeland Security types. How many um, uh, pro-abortionists were responsible for the attack on the Twin Towers and the Pentagon? Zero. Okay, um, how many, well, you know, come to think of it, those Al-Qaeda types, they might be actually pro-life. Um, how many uh, members of the NRA were responsible for the attack against the USS Cole? Um, or the bombings, you know, of the U.S. embassies in those different African nations? Um, I'm, you know, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, yeah, here's the problem. Um it sounds to me like somebody is abusing the Department of Homeland Security 
and and having them go off and chase down uh, not real threats to American security, but instead people who are threatening um, the political power and political positions of a particular uh, U.S. presidential administration. So what what are they, what's their goal here? Uh, to get you to shut up. I'm sure that I'll be considered a domestic terrorist, or at least on a watch list, because of the fact that I'm pro-life. Um, I own a weapon, and um, or five, and um, well, maybe, and and um, I'm in favor of the NRA. Let's see, I'm in favor of I'm in favor of illegalizing abortion. Oh yeah, and I uh, <laughs> I believe homosexuality is a sin. You know, folks. I don't know why you're listening to me. I mean, because, you know, you can get a lot of trouble. I mean, after all, I'm a dangerous domestic terrorist. And uh, if you have any position, if you're if you're pro-life, uh, uh, anti-gay marriage and uh, in favor of Americans owning, you know, guns for self-defense, you've heard of that whole right to bear arms thing, you know, self. Yeah. Um, but then you are uh, you're up there with Al Qaeda and uh, Osama bin Laden. I mean, I you know, I need to grow my beard longer. I can maybe lose a little bit of weight. That guy was a little thin in the face, wasn't he? I I, I can be maybe the Buddhist ver a big Buddha guy, you know, a big bellied, pot bellied um domestic terrorist. Uh, can I, I can just feel the power now. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, so just wanna give you a heads up. Um there's a problem here. And what do you do about this problem? You basically uh, get a hold of your congressmen, get a hold of your um, elected officials, and let them know that you don't appreciate them. You don't appreciate the current administration abusing the Department of Homeland Security and making your religious and political beliefs that are contrary to theirs to equate them with domestic terrorism. That's an abuse of the Department of. Homeland Security. All right, moving on to the next story here uh, from the Telegraph. This is a great story, by the way. My favorite one of the day. Male worshippers are like to sing macho songs in church. That's what the headline reads. Uh, that's right. Males, men like to sing macho songs in church. A subhead reads: Male worshippers like to sing proper macho songs in much in church and feel uncomfortable with hugging, holding hands, or sitting in circles discussing their feelings, according to a survey. I could have told you this. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> a majority of men, 60%, said they do not like flowers and embroidered banners in church, and 52% saying they do not like dancing in church. Comments gathered from the survey of 400 UK readers of the, ma- uh, the men's magazine Sorted also showed that, uh, that many did not like hugging, holding hands, or sitting in circles discussing their feelings. That to me, by the way, um, that's one, that whole sitting or standing in a circle uh, discussing your feelings, I think that was one of the missing rings of Dante's levels of the Inferno. Uh, at least it would be for me. I would rather um, jump off the Empire State Building without a parachute than stand or sit in a circle discussing my feelings. Anyway, most of the readers uh, were churchgoers, with the majority filling in a survey from online between January and April. Nearly 60% said, 
of those surveyed said they enjoyed singing but added comments showing they preferred anthematic songs and proclamational hymns as opposed to more emotional love songs. Of course, my least favorite uh, love song of all time is the <clears throat> that ever so popular praise song, This Is The Air I Breathe. This is the air I breathe. Anyway, nearly three quarters or 72% said that their favorite part of a service was the talk or the sermon. Uh, uh, Sorted managing editor, well, (laughs) that's my favorite part too because I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for all the bad sermonizing going on out there. Anyway, uh, Sorted managing editor and uh, publisher Steve Legg, that's the name of the the, uh, publication, by the way, it's Sorted, uh, said Jesus recruited a bunch of 12 ordinary blokes before he began his ministry proper, they spent three years together doing stuff. <laughs> so, so uh, Peter, uh, you know, what what you been doing with Jesus? Stuff. We've been doing stuff, man. Well, what kind of stuff? You know, stuff. Come on, Pete, man. What have you been doing, man? Been like all over the Judean countryside. We heard you all the way, went all the way up to Caesarea Philippi. What are you doing, man? Well, you know, stuff. (laughs) All right. They spent three years together doing stuff. He sat down and ate with them and built relationships. The comments at the end of the survey showed that what appeals to men is doing stuff together. Sports teams, fishing, pub quizzes, paintballing, do-it-yourself projects, curry nights, bowling, clay pigeon shooting, and going out for a beer. Uh, the findings of the survey will be discussed at a, a seminar on men in the church at the Christian Resources Exhibition in Sandown Park, Esther, on Friday, May 15th. <sighs> yes. Well, I'm just glad to hear that they're finally doing some surveys. And they've, dis- they've, they've discovered what I've known all along. All of those sissy, girly, Oprah-fied, airy-fairy... Uh, 7-Eleven praise songs that just give me the heebie-jeebies because it sounds like I'm singing a love song to Jesus like, you know, he's my girlfriend and and, and then I have to hold hands with Jesus. Oh, man. (sighs) Can't stand it. It just... Anyway, glad to hear that they're finally doing some research and discovering the obvious. Uh, Yeah, you want to keep men out of church, just keep doing that kind of garbage. And uh, men will stay out of church until they go to hell. All right, we're up on our second break. When we come back, we'll be looking at a new story. Uh, Apparently, abortion is now considered a blessing by some in the clergy, at least female clergy. And uh, and then we're going to look at Exodus chapter 4 and 5. And then uh, because, you know, we're so manly here, we're going to be listening to uh, a... A sermon called Overcoming Hopelessness. We'll see if they actually do overcome it. You never know. You know, nowadays, I mean, it's possible that one of these guys can come up with a real good, biblical, Christ-centered, cross-focused sermon uh, with a title like that. But so far, we haven't run into many of those. So you definitely don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. It's going to be all kinds of fun when we come back. And I want to remind you, if you want to email me, you can at talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. My name there is Chris Rosebro. Or you can follow my subversive microblogging at Twitter. My name there is Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We live in a time when there are full-out attacks against the gospel and sound biblical doctrine. One particular threat that you need to know how to protect yourself from is the attack against the doctrine of the penal substitutionary atonement. J.I. Packer called this doctrine the heart of the gospel, and this doctrine is now being openly attacked by liberals and emergents alike. This is why Pirate Christian Radio is featuring the book Pierced for Our Transgressions, Rediscovering the Glory of Penal Substitution. This book lays out the biblical underpinnings of this non-negotiable doctrine as well as its rich historical pedigree. After reading this book, you'll have a deep biblical understanding of what Christ accomplished for you on the cross as well as possess a sound biblical and historical defense against those who are attacking this important doctrine. Pierce for Our Transgressions is available at piratechristianradio.com and is only $25 plus $4 shipping and handling and all proceeds help to support Pirate Christian Radio. So log on to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy today. out my uh, <clears throat> Facebook wall here. Scott Gherkin. He obviously understands the need for authentic, good, good Mexican food. He says, I don't know about what's in your area, but if you are in the Champaign-Urbana area in Illinois, check out Dos Reales. Their fajita quesadilla will outdo anyone else's burritos. And don't forget the house, the beef house in Covington on the way. So there you go, folks. To those of you in the Urbana area of Illinois, <laughs> you've got some local information on uh, where to find some good Mexican food. And by the way, I provide that service completely free. Just happen to have a weakness for really, really good Mexican food. All right. <laughs> Which could explain why you're overweight, Chris. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It, it, it's, it's a danger that... <clears throat> occupational hazard. Plus, my wife is an amazing cook. All right. Um, from worldmag.com, the, <laughs> this is wild. The headline reads, The Blessing of Abortion. No, it's not somebody's out there blessing abortions, you know. Uh, but listen to this. Quote, Abortion is a blessing, and our work is not done. 
Now, let me hear you say it. Abortion is a blessing, and our work is not done. Abortion is a blessing, and our work is not done. Abortion is a blessing, and our work is not done. That is was the Reverend Catherine Hancock Ragsdale in 2007 repetitiously inciting her disciples to to be not just pro-choice, but fanatically pro-abortion. Um, you know, you just read something like this and just, what has happened to the church? Oh, I know, they completely jettisoned God's word, ordained women and homosexuals, and now we have this kind of shenanigans going on. By the way, uh, Catherine, just want to remind you, the biblical prohibition against murder still stands. And, um, and taking an unborn human life is every bit as murderous as gunning somebody down in a 7-Eleven. So just want to make sure we got that point. Anyway, this is significant because according to the standard journalistic news books, Ragsdale does not exist. We're told that pro-choice folks don't like abortion. They're just trying to help a woman facing tragedy. Ragsdale, though, says abortion is a blessing and not only in harsh situations, but good ones when a woman becomes pregnant within a loving, supportive, respectful relationship, has every option open to her, decides she does not wish to bear a child, and has access to a safe, affordable abortion. You know, if, if, by the way, abstinence works 100% of the time that it's tried. Um, if, a, if a woman does not want to um, become pregnant or become a parent, or if a man doesn't want to become a father abstinence works every single time it's tried just want to point that out and 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 i can't read the rest of the story it's just absolutely aggravating me to death that anybody who claims to be a christian uh pastor in this particular case pastrix uh would be so far afield of god's word that um it's an abomination uh, the best thing I can say to Ragsdale is repent. What you're teaching is false doctrine. It's a lie, and it's idolatrous, and it's an abomination, and contradicts the clear teachings of the Word of God, which make it sick, makes it clear uh, that life begins at conception. And, uh, to make matters even worse, uh, murder is a sin. Therefore, repent of this wickedness, and believe the good news of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Because abortion is even a sin which Christ died for. Yeah, that's right. There are going to be women in heaven who have had abortions. Why? Because Christ died for their sins. We should not be telling people to be radically pro-abortion. We should be telling people to feel sorrow for the wickedness of murder in the form of abortion, and to repent and receive the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus Christ. All right, switching gears here. We're working our way through the book of Exodus, and um, we have just, well, in our last installment on this radio serial series known as the book of Exodus, um, we left off with God speaking to Moses at the burning bush, and, you know, Moses was just gung-ho. I mean, couldn't wait uh, no, actually, that's not true at all. Um, <laughs> he uh, was definitely, uh, let's just say, less than enthusiastic about this particular mission and trying to figure out a way to worm out of it. And uh, th- that didn't actually work so well uh, for him. Um, 
So uh, we pick up the story, Exodus chapter 4, verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, this would be um, uh, Moses' uh, kin here, it, it, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had uh, sent him back, sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads in worship. Yeah, think about it. The God of the universe knows of your personal suffering. The God who made the earth, who made our solar system, made Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and now the recently demoted planet, formerly known as uh, Pluto, made the Milky Way, made all the stars, the planets, everything that God, I mean, compared to the universe, you are literally just a nanospeck, a freckle on the backside of the universe. And yet God knows who you are, knows you by name, knows of your affliction, knows of your slavery. In this particular case, I'm applying this a little bit more universally, knows of your personal slavery to sin death and the devil and he has sent somebody to rescue you and he knows and what's their response they're on their face bowing their heads and worshiping this god reverence awe and gratitude not a lot of that going on nowadays anyway afterwards moses and aaron went and said to pharaoh now, this is their <clears throat> first meeting with Pharaoh. And, you know, as first meetings go, you can almost imagine just how nervous they were. What are we doing? We're going to go see Pharaoh? Yeah, we're going to What are we going to say to him? Well, God told us what to say and told us what to do. Yeah, I know, but what if Pharaoh, he won't listen to us? Well, God did say that he probably won't. What, what does God mean that he probably won't? Well, we're going to find out. You can see. <laughs> By the way, here's, here's kind of the, if you really want a little bit of a skinny on the showdown that's about to take place. Understand something. Um, the Pharaoh of Egypt is considered to be God or one of the gods in human flesh. Uh, it's not that he was just a political figure. Uh, Pharaoh was a religious and political figure. Okay? So the showdown that we're about to see between Yahweh and Pharaoh, this is a battle between to gods, at least from the Egyptian observation point of view, because Pharaoh's a god king. And uh, by their way of thinking, the god king Pharaoh is definitely more powerful than the god of the um, Hebrews, because if the god of the Hebrews was so powerful, then why on earth would he allow his peeps to be in slavery for 400 years? It doesn't make any sense. 
Okay, so you can kind of see how the arrogance thing is, is going to play into this. But I just want to kind of give you just a little bit of the background going on here. Anyway, afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I, I don't know Yahweh. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. Well, then they said, well, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. Not exactly the best line there. They're not, are, they're not negotiating from a position of power. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And then Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. As in the past, let them go and gather their own straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it for their idol. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Uh, the heavier, let heavier work be laid on the, on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to their lying words. Yeah, this is going really well. Um, so the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh. Uh, notice that uh, they're announcing this as, as if this is coming down from a god. I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all of your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the, as in the past? So then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. Uh, but he said, You are idle. You are idle. You, that is what you say. Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you. But you must still deliver the same number of bricks. Uh, the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. Uh, when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. Uh, they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us a stench in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hands so that they would kill us. 
see, because, you know, when God is doing something, everything always just goes so swimmingly well from the word go. No, it never works that way, is it? Yet God understands exactly what he's doing. And his purposes are being fulfilled even in this, shall we call it just a setback? Uh, So then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give for you a possession. I am the Lord. Moses thus spoke to the people of Israel. They did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. Now notice, who was the one who was going to bring them out? Themselves? Can you release yourself from slavery? Technically you can, if you can come up with the price of it. But in this particular case, God is the one who's acting. And our salvation is much the same way. This is a type and shadow of our story, of all of humanity's story. Because Christ died for the sins of the whole world, he is our great redeemer come to rescue us from the slavery that we are under to sin, death, and the, dev- and the devil. He is the one who delivers us from slavery. He's the one who redeems us with an outstretched arm. He is the one who takes us to be a people for himself and so that he is our God. He is the one who's brought us out from under the burdens of sin, death, and the devil. And he will bring us into the land that he has promised to us. A land where the lion lays down with the lamb. A land where there is no death. And God himself, Christ himself, will wipe away every tear. This is all pointing to what Christ did. It should sound very familiar. All right. 
We are now to that portion of our programming day <laughs> where we, uh, well, we engage in sermon reviews. And, uh, this, and, and for our sermon reviews, we always play, at least that's our new tradition, that we have stuck to our sermon review music. Without any further ado, here it is. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, ugly. We have reviewed some ugly sermons here on uh, Fighting for the Faith. And, uh, you know, as a bonus, no extra cost. Every single time when we uh, review an ugly sermon here at Fighting for the Faith, we will also make available an emergency gospel sermon where you can hear what Jesus Christ, your great God and Savior, has done for you in offering you the forgiveness of sins and conquering sin, death, and the devil on your behalf. Because that seems to be a message that is mysteriously missing from a lot of Christian pulpits nowadays. And, uh, well, we're going to find out if it's missing from Water's Edge Church. That's the name of the church that we're going to be reviewing the sermon from today. Water's Edge Church. And they have a sermon that they've recently uh, delivered called um, Overcoming Hopelessness. Now, listen, hopelessness is something that, uh, that all humans experience one way or another. And Christians are ones that have hope. What's our hope in? So we're going to see if they handle this topic, which afflicts a lot of issue, a lot of people. This issue afflicts a lot of people. And uh, see what they do there at Water's Edge Church, whether or not they focus this in on Jesus Christ and our true hope through Christ and him crucified for our sins. So let's see if Water's Edge Church um, can uh, help us to truly overcome hopelessness. Without any further ado, we go. Everybody, if you um, helped out yesterday with the food drive at Hy-Vee, I want you to uh, stand up real quick and just be recognized. For those of you who uh, helped out with the food drive at Hy-Vee, this is an amazing thing. We collected 2,264 pounds and uh, 283 bags of food. So thanks for all your diligence for those of you who were able to help out. Yeah, I was thinking about this sermon yesterday, and I realized uh, when I wrote it earlier in the week, there's absolutely no humor in this sermon, so I had to go back and uh, insert some. So we'll have some uh, oldies but goodies today. Uh, you know, I, my hope for you here, Pastor, is that, um, you know, um, that that you not only look to see whether or not there was humor in your sermon, but whether or not it was really teaching God's word in context. I mean, I'm not trying to prejudge here, but we have a pretty high standard here at Fighting for the Faith when we do sermon reviews. We expect to hear about what God's word actually says in context, and we've uh, come to expect... Well, uh, that you bring us the goods. That's the gospel. The good news that Christ died for our sins. Because if you're going to talk about hopelessness, you see, our situation as human as human beings is hopeless. Um, 
if we don't have Christ? Because if we were to stand before God and have to face God's judgment and wrath for our sins and do that apart from Christ, we truly have no hope. I just, I'm hoping, I'm hoping here that this is what comes out in this, this uh, sermon. A lot, of pre- a lot of pressure, too, um, but thanks for all of you who are here. If you're a guest with us and it's your first time, uh, we just want to thank you, and uh, thanks so much for worshiping with us. Uh, it's our real hope and dream that you come back and worship with us again. If you're just checking us out and this is the only time you ever come, I just uh, hope and pray today that you leave with, uh, with a message of hope. We're in the middle of a sermon series right now, um, kind of how to deal with tough times in life. There's a lot of difficult uh, situations going on right now with um, our economy and just all the uh, problems and issues uh, that that leads to. Last week we looked at um, how to deal with uh, how to deal with rejection when we looked at the movie uh, Hope Floats. Um, the what? next two weeks what? we're what? going to uh, continue. You, what you looked at the movie Hope Floats? <sighs> the service and there's the series and there's a lot of information in your bulletin about that. This uh, series is on uh, this morning is on hope and the movie is uh, the pursuit of happiness. We saw a clip from it um, what? earlier and this guy what? was. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah. oh, hang on a second here. Uh, Water's Edge Church, by the way, is in, um, I believe they're in Omaha. Hold on a second here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, that's it. This is the one. Yeah, their sermon series entitled God at the Movies. <sighs> yeah, that's right. On April 26th, they, they uh, did a sermon and I'm using that term in the loosest possible definition known to man, on hope floats, and the name of the sermon was Overcoming Rejection. Oh, man. We continue. was uh, pretty much in a hopeless situation. We saw a clip there where he was uh, in a homeless shelter with his young son, um, and they ran out of beds that night, and him and his kid, they slept on the train. He Did you run out of Bible passages to preach on there, Pastor Craig? Just wondering. Yeah, looked like he was given plasma there, and you know there was there was a point in this man's life when um you know it, it had to seem hopeless. But one of the things we're going to learn this morning is that life is never hopeless, no matter how bad things seem, uh, how tough times get. Uh, life is never hopeless. One of the things that I think was Dr. Schuler says: uh, tough times um, don't last, but tough people do. Tough times don't last. Oh, that's such a wonderful platitude. You know, because Robert Schuler was quoting directly from, well, not the Bible. Um, sorry. By the way, this is uh, Craig uh, Finistad. He's the leader and teacher of <clears throat> Water's Edge Church there in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. We continue. Last, but tough people do last. I was thinking um, to illustrate hope, I would go back about... It's probably about eight years. I was a pastor in uh, northwest Iowa in the town called Spencer, and many of you have uh, heard me tell stories about that church before. And Amber was out. It was a Saturday night. Um, she was out with some of her friends, I think. It's a while ago, but that's not an important part of the story. Otherwise, and she's not in the story. Um, <laughs> so Benjamin, I, ben- uh, Craig, 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 um, you familiar with Second Timothy chapter 4? Let's just say verses 1 through 4. I mean, you are a pastor, I'm hoping, and not just some kind of a um, self-help guru. Um, as a pastor, your job is to 
preach the word. Um, I'm sure you'll get into some Bible passages here. I'm just absolutely sure that you'll do that. Um, but I want to. I would. We would hope to be hearing that by now. Benjamin, who was you know six months old at the time, um, he and I went for a walk. Uh, yeah, I'm pushing him in the stroller. And some of you um, have had kids that um, you know for the first two years of their life didn't sleep. And I'm one of the proud members of that fellowship. And it was uh, everything. We, and you know, some of you are kids in this room right now that for the first two years of your life you didn't sleep very well. And uh, Benjamin, we were walking around, and uh, I had the dog George with me. For those of you who don't know, my dog Georgia. Uh, she's a giant breed Newfoundland dog. Um, Newfoundlands generally w- uh, weigh, you know, 120, 180 pounds. George is right in the middle of that. So, George at this time, she's a year older than Benjamin, so she's about 18 months. Benjamin is uh, six months at the time. He's walking down. Uh, we're walking. Down, I got George with uh, the leash in this arm. I'm pushing Benjamin with this one. He falls asleep. It's a beautiful thing. I'm about a half mile from home. Um, it was a Saturday night, so I assume after that I was going to go and start working on my sermon and, uh, you know, get ready for church the next day. And all of a sudden, this little dog uh, from, you know, when I say little, it's relative. I mean, it may have been 10 or 15 pounds. But this little dog comes up and, you know, starts tormenting my big dog, Georgia. And Georgia was kind of laid back at first. Uh, usually to be a dog in Georgia's book, you have to be about 60, 70, 80 pounds. But <laughs> this little dog was just, uh, you know, just little teeth, you know, and showing the teeth of Georgia. And all of a sudden, you know, Benjamin's sleeping. I'm having to hold Georgia with this one arm. It's like... And she, like, keeps lunging after this uh, little dog. And um, all of a sudden, Benjamin wakes up, and he's crying. The dogs are barking. Um, at this point, I'm getting pretty frustrated. All these people are up on the deck, um, the dog's owners, watching this uh, little debatical that's going on. You know, they're laughing. They think this is the funniest thing in the world. Um, you know, I'm about ready to show Debatical? I think the word you're looking for is debacle. And uh, so far, this sermon. Now, maybe the whole point of these little illustrations up front without the Word of God is to make you, if you're a Christian, feel hopeless. Hopeless in the fact that you're not going to get God's Word. But I hope that's not what he's trying to accomplish here. But he is, whether he's trying it or not. Show that what funny is all about. <laughs> now, there's two things you need to know before I continue this story. Um, I knew that there was no way in the world George was ever going to catch this little dog. It's like an 18-wheeler trying to catch a Ferrari. It's just not going to happen. And I knew that if she did catch the dog, nothing would happen. Um, she may give the dog a big bath or something, and that would be about it. But I'll continue the story. So I say, Georgia, come here. Georgia comes here. I say, sit. The big dog sits. I take her thing. I take off the leash. Now, all of a sudden, it was just like the world had stopped. Um, the people were like, no. No. <laughs> The little dog was like, huh? <laughs> and you know how like when you have a pet for a while, you kind of communicate with the pet, and the pet communicates with you? So I took off the thing, and I said, Georgia, go get him. And like she looked up at me, and she's like, are you serious, Daddy? <laughs> I said, yeah, go get him. <laughs> so this big uh, 18-wheeler chasing around a little Ferrari, no luck. Um, the little Ferrari doesn't know that. She, uh, the dog, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. Um, but the dog was running for its life. Um, <laughs> The dog, you know, the owner comes down. Uh, the dog jumps up into the arms of the owner. And I think that that is a great picture of hope. You know, when the, when the big dogs are chasing us in life, and we've all had big dogs chase us before, when times get tough, um, when we lose our job, when uh, we struggle uh, with a relationship or with our health, one of the things that we can do is uh, jump up into the arms of our loving parent in heaven 
who will help us. That's where our hope comes from. Um, our hope is nothing that we can manufacture. It's something that we can do by ourselves. You know, hope is just a, a person who's at some level desperate or kind of desperate or almost kind of... <laughs> uh, Craig, um, <clears throat> he's spoken so authoritatively, so prophetically. Uh, six minutes, ten seconds into this sermon, and so far... Uh, God's word has not yet made an appearance. Um, rather than telling us cute little dog stories and telling us that we can be like a little dog and jump up into daddy's lap, um, maybe you should um, <clears throat> open the book. I'm desperate. Jumping up into the arms of God. Now, one of the things that we all need to know about hope is that hope is a gift from God. That's the first thing that we need to know about hope this morning is that it is a gift from God. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, uh, Paul says three things will last forever. Okay, by the way, six minutes, 20 seconds into the sermon, the Bible makes its first appearance, and we're getting a verse. Not in context, out of context. Uh, kind of fortune cookie style, if you would, because apparently the Bible um, it is really designed to be cut up into individual fortune cookie sayings and applied to hopeless sermons. Now, um, in chapter 12, Paul has uh, talked about all the different uh, spiritual gifts and all the different gifts that God gives, the gift of uh, kindness and mercy and apostleship and all those things. And at the end of chapter 13, Paul is uh, concluding the summary, and he says these three things or these three gifts remain. And you know the list, uh, faith, hope, and love. Yeah, so one of the things that we know about hope is that it is the gift from God. It's something that God... Uh, man, um, you know, we need to do a little bit of work here. Um, hang on a second here. You know, Craig, just want to let you know, it's completely, you know, this is a free service that I offer here at Fighting for the Faith. And that is, you know, helping people keep things in context um, tell you what, we're going to back up into First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to fill in all the biblical stuff that you left out. Uh, now, I don't want you to feel like I'm doing your job for you, but consider this just to be an object lesson on how you actually preach from God's Word using God's Word. Yes, you can do it. Second um, Corinthians chapter 12, um, verse 1, we read, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols. However, uh, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking uh, in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except from by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. By the way, he didn't say anything about kindness uh, that was not one of the <clears throat> um, gifts mentioned here. Uh, all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all who were made to drink of the one spirit." For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose if all were uh, were a single member where would the body be as it is there are many parts yet there is one body the eye cannot say to the hand i have no need of you or again the head uh, to the feet i have no need of you on the contrary the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that it lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration of various kinds and tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So far, okay, so, you know, uh, Craig, listen, you're, you're quoting this passage in 1 Corinthians 12. You're not really telling us what it says um but let me read chapter 13 since you mentioned it uh if i speak in the tongues of men and angels but i do not have love i am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and if i have a prophetic power and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge and if i have all faith so as to remove mountains but i do not have love i'm nothing If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So you see, love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things love never ends as for prophecies they will pass away as for tongues they will cease as for knowledge it will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away when i was a child i spoke like a child i thought like a child i reasoned like a child Uh, when i became a man I gave up all childish ways. For now we see through a mirror dimly, 
but then we will see face to face. For now I know in part, then I will know fully, even as I am fully have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. You see, Craig, just if you stop taking the, the Bible as some kind of a fortune cookie, strip mine it down, cut it into little sayings and half sentences and take it out of context, if you would stop doing that, you would see that the Bible is this amazingly rich book with deep, deep teaching that God wants his people to hear, to feed on, to believe on, to meditate on. Because it is through the preaching of God's word that God quickens faith, God delivers faith, that God strengthens faith. These fortune cookie sayings about hopelessness, I mean, yeah, actually, you create hopelessness in Christians if you don't preach to them God's word and give them Christ and him crucified for their sins. We continue with the sermon. God gives to us. Uh, we find in First uh, Thessalonians chapter one verse three, and we pray to our God and Father about you. Um, we think of your faithful work, and this is Paul writing a letter to the uh, Christians in this area. He says, "We think of your loving work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of Jesus Christ." Now Paul tells these people, "The hope that you have is because of Jesus Christ." It's nothing that you've done. It's nothing that you've earned. It's a gift from God. It's okay, well, that's good. But, yeah, okay, let's continue. Because of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like this. It's a, it's a gift. And I've always wanted to, um, I've been to Europe one time, and I've always wanted to go back to Europe with Amber. And it would be like if someone of you came up to me and said, you know, Craig, we want to uh, uh, send you to Europe for two weeks. And it's a gift. It's, uh, it's on us. It's on the house. And it's just our way of, uh, you know, saying thank you for trying to make us laugh on Sunday morning. And one of the things I would do is I would go to, uh, I would go to Norway. Um, this is where my family uh, lives, and uh, I would just love to go and see the fjords. I'd love to go see the relatives in Oslo and Stavanger, and this would be part of the trip. And I'd love to go to uh, England. Um, the next picture we see is uh, the Bristol Church. This is the first uh, Methodist church. It's the one that uh, John Wesley was originally in. And I've always just wanted to go to this place. Uh, I'd love to study Methodist history, and this is one of the places where I'd end up. And, of course, no trip to Europe would be complete without... Uh, a trip to the, one of the beaches in Spain. Um, you know, so this is the place that uh, hopefully Amber and I would end up at. And you, know, you would pay for the trip. Um, you would walk- I want to remind you all that the uh, name of the sermon is Overcoming Hopelessness. And um, funny enough, I'm getting this overwhelming sense of hopelessness at the moment, washing over me in waves of dark coldness. Um, uh, eight minutes, 22 seconds into this sermon. <sighs> Watch our boys for us for two weeks, and um, I guarantee you uh, it's a way to give to God and also increase your prayer life and your, and your patience. Um, so I'm going to put the trip thing on hold. We're going to go back to that in a second. Um, so the first thing is that hope is a gift from God. The next thing is that hope is a choice. Um, okay, God gives us the gift. It's our choice whether we accept it or not. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures uh, give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. And how exactly does Romans chapter 15, 4 say that hope is a choice? 
hang on a second here. Got to consult my computerized Bible. Um, just having a tough time with this one. Romans 15. By the way, the three rules of biblical interpretation, the three most important rules. In fact, if you don't want to be schnookered by a bad uh, biblical teacher, these three rules, I guarantee you, will solve 99% of the problems. Okay. And uh, they are, ready for this, context, context, and um, context. And that means if you read God's word in context, you actually learn what it teaches in context, and you don't have to worry about somebody twisting it. Uh, Romans chapter 15, starting at verse 1, we read, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and, and not to please ourselves. Let us each please his neighbor for his good and to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for your instruction, that you that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Okay, yeah, hope in what? So may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Hmm, it sounds like we're hoping in the glory of God here in context. Okay, so... There's God's gift, and there's our responsibility uh, to accept the gift. Uh, two quotes I want to think of is uh, the first one from George Weinberg. Uh, by the way, Craig, have you ever heard of the Pelagian heresy? Yeah, it's, Pelagianism is a heresy. You might want to do some readings in the early church fathers, specifically Augustine, and read the church councils where Pelagianism was ruled to be a heresy you ever heard of original sin just you know the the concept of total depravity dead and trespasses and sin anyway we continue um hope never abandons you you abandon hope what i think about that god is never going to abandon us god is uh, always going to keep giving us hope the only way that we don't have hope is if we abandon it. God is never going to abandon us. So if you're hopeless, just want to, sorry if this sounds really crass. Um, if you're experiencing hopelessness, it's really your own damn fault because you didn't choose hope. Oh, that doesn't help me a bit. Us. Um, you know, we have the choice to uh, abandon God's gift or to embrace it. Now I could go to you and you give me this gift to uh, uh, Europe and we fly over there and I could say, you know, Thanks for the gift, but I'm just not really interested. Um, you know, I want to uh, just make sure my lawn stays manicured this summer, and I want to uh, just make sure I'm in this area with my kids. Um, thank you for the offer, but uh, no thanks. Um, you know, I'm just not interested. You know, so God, uh, God gives us the gift, and we have a choice whether we accept the gift of hope or not. Now, the third thing, um, hope is a gift. Uh, hope is a choice. The third thing is that hope is an attitude. This is the verse that I think it was uh, Brad that read it. You know, funny, uh, rather than overcoming hopelessness, this sermon is actually doing a fine and dandy job of generating it. Um, from Lamentations, uh, chapter 3, verse 20 through 24. Um, I'm going to break this down into three parts. Um, the first part, I will never forget the awful, I will never forget, forget this awful time. 
as I grieve over my loss. Okay, now this text was written thousands of years ago and it applies to us today. The writer says, I will never forget about the awful t- this awful time as I grieve my loss. Now, we've all been here before. Some of us are here right now and all of us will be there eventually. We're going to have a time in our life when we're uh, struggling. We're going to have a time in our life when uh, we're going through a really, really tough time, just like this writer was going through. Just like sitting through the sermon. I... He continues, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Okay, so he's going through a tough time. He says, yet I still dare to hope as I remember this. And then he continues, uh, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. You know, when times get tough, what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump up into the arms of God. And he is going to hold me. He is going to love me. He is going to sustain me. He is going to make my dreams come true. He's going to make life in the future. What? God is going to make your dreams for life come true? Where does it say that in the Bible? You know, Craig, uh, you would do yourself a huge favor to just actually preach the text and cut back a little bit on the commentary until you actually learn what the passages teach. Just, again, free advice. Take it for what it's worth. Possible. Um, One of the things, you know, hope is not a one-time, and we read this in the Bible all the time, hope is not a one-time transaction that we do with God. You know, if we look at the original languages of uh, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit or um, what it means to accept hope, it's not a one-time transaction. It's it's not something that we do just one time and we're good to go forever. Uh uh Um, The best way I think we can uh, think about this is it's... uh, it's like a gas tank. Um, we're going to see a picture right now. and So hope is like infused grace. It's like a rechargeable battery. It's like a gas tank. You need to go to the pump and fill up on hope. Uh, you know what we need to do then? We need to set up hope stations. Uh, that's Folks, uh, here we need to be setting up hope stations. Every, you know, some, people were... Oh, man. Uh, has anyone ever been here before? Um, yeah, when your tank is empty, you do one of two things. Um, you either run out of gas or you go to the gas station. Um, anyone in here ever run out of gas before? <laughs> yeah, quite a few. Um, I was trying to think of something funny to say, but nothing was coming, so I just <laughs> will keep talking here. Um, but seriously, okay, when we're hurting, um, when life gets tough, you know, some of us will say, okay, this is the way that life should be. You know, maybe my life is supposed to be walking around on empty. Maybe I should be tired. Maybe I should be sick. Maybe I should be uh, uh, tired and sick of being sick and tired. You know, maybe this is the way that life is supposed to be. This is not the way that life is supposed to be. God has got a better way for us to go to the filling station and have our life on the full side. Now, it's... Where is that written in the Bible? Life on the full side. Hang on. Uh, must conduct a search through my computerized Bible. Here we go. Life on the full side. Nope. Not there. Not there at all. Craig, did you just make that up? Come on. You're a pastor. You should know better than that. You should be preaching what the text actually says uh again it's an attitude that we have to have um you know it's a gift that we're given it's a choice that we make and hope is an attitude it's really the way that we live our life you know is our attitude going to be well i wonder what bad is going to happen to me next (laughs) or 
<sighs> you are. This is a Christian sermon. Or we could say something like, "Well, um, things have got to get better." I'm going to be keep. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to be doing my part. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to let God do His part. And I know that this is not the normal life. This right here is the life that God wants for me. I kind of uh, looked at some quotes this week, and I want to share those with you now. Yeah, I, I kind of. Uh, I'm getting a little aggravated with this uh, preaching here. Um, it has to do with hope uh, being an attitude. And one of the things that I would hope for all of us as we leave today is that we could. Uh, Develop an attitude of hope in our life. Really? And you're, you are going to expect me to do that on such scant, out-of-context information that you're giving me from the Bible. But you would hope that you would develop an attitude of hope for your life based on this information. You've got to be kidding me, right? That, you know, when tough time comes, we can be hopeful. That hope will always... Uh trump the despair that we uh, can see in the world. One of them was uh, from Johann Wolfgang Van Gogh. He says, uh, in all things it is better to hope than it is to despair. Van Gogh, is, is he the... He's not the guy who cut his ear off, is it? Ugh. Think about it. We have a choice. Do we walk around with the attitude of hope or do we walk around with an attitude of despair? There's a Latin proverb, dumb sparrow, sparrow. Um, it's translated... Um, while, while I breathe, I hope. You know, again, here, hope is an attitude. It's part of our life. When we breathe, we hope. Um, Oscar Wilde says we are all in the gutter, but some of us are looking up at the stars. You're quoting Oscar Wilde? Was he one of the inspired... Oh, never mind. Um, Gene Kerr says, uh, hope is the feeling that you get... Hope is the feeling that the feeling that you have isn't permanent. And the last one is from Anne Lamont. Um, hope begins in the dark. The stubborn hope that if you just show up... Anne Lamont, um, she's one of... She wrote what biblical passage? Never mind. Show up and try to do the right thing. The dawn will come. You wait and you watch and you work and you don't give up. You know, hope is an attitude that we have and it's a choice that we make and it's a gift. You're making a main point in your sermon and supporting it from poets. I don't have a problem if you quote a poet. Uh, uh, man. Uh. That comes from God. The psalmist says, uh, But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, those whose hope is the Lord their God. The writer says, uh, Have hope, have joy. Um, it comes from God. It's a choice. And it's so you want us to basically have hope and hope. By the way, Hebrews 11, um, chapter, uh, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What is the, uh, the is our faith in Christ is focused on Christ, and, and there's an assurance of things hoped for. What are we hoping for? Reconciliation with God, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life with Him. Um... Those are some amazing things that we hope for. We don't have hope for the sake of hope. 
We have hope in the glory of God. We have hope in the redemption of, of, of our souls. We have hope that Christ will return and restore things to the way they should be. We have this amazing hope. But our, we don't have hope just for the sake of hope because hope's an attitude. There isn't a single passage in the scripture that says hope's an attitude. And I hope that you would develop this attitude of hope. That's an attitude. Okay, now, uh, I think, as I was thinking about how to define um, or even describe hope this week, the best I could come up with is uh, hope means that tomorrow can be better than today. So that was the best that you came up with, that the hope is that tomorrow can be better than today. And what hope happens when the doctor says the diagnosis is cancer and it's terminal, you got five days to live? There goes your... There goes the best answer that you can come up with. Uh, sorry, uh, Craig, the answer that you came up with, as, as even though that was the best that you can come up with, isn't the best. In order to find the best answer, you actually would have to read God's Word in context and actually teach what it says. I really think that's a really uh, good way to think about hope, as it means that... No, I think it's a terrible way to think about hope, and it actually creates hopelessness in people. Well, I don't have any hope. Tomorrow is not going to be better than today. In fact, tomorrow promises to be scads worse. Guess I'm somebody without hope. Unless, of course, you're defining hope as basically sticking your head in the sand and letting your derriere stick out in the open so that Satan can fire arrows at it at will. Oh, I know that feels like a flaming arrow from the sat- from Satan and the devil, but I have hope that that's not what it was. Ow! Ow! Tomorrow can be uh, better than today. Um, we looked at this verse last week. I want to look at it again this week. It's from Philippians chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 14. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Achieved what? You're reading Philippians chapter 3 out of context. An amazing gospel passage, by the way. An amazing gospel passage. Philippians chapter 3 is up there with Romans chapter 3 in teaching salvation by grace through faith by Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Uh, let me read, you know, just because it's we're, we're there, we might as well make sure he reads it in context because he's taking it out of context. Look out for those dogs, Paul writes, those evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. We worship by the Spirit of God, and we glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that I by my any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or, or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What's Paul's hope there? <laughs> to be found in Christ, the resurrection from the dead. This all this, all this stuff, it's perfection in Christ. That's what he's hoping for. Let's see what uh, Craig does with it. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Listen to those words. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Yeah, you just read that passage completely out of context. And you've, you've completely missed the whole point. The point is Christ. Jesus Christ. He's made us his own. He gives us his righteousness by faith. Oh, boy. I press onward um, to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. Okay, Paul says that tomorrow can be better than today. That's not what he said. <laughs> not the way you're saying it there, dude. I'm sorry. You, hang on. I'm writing on his paper here. I'm giving him a grade sheet. F. You get an F for biblical interpretation because you're taking stuff out of context. Sorry, you got an F there, Craig. You can do better next time. And he is going to press onward to do his best to have an attitude to make sure that that is a possibility in his life. Actually, we're now to F minus. That's not what the passage says. Go back and read it in context. I just read it for you. Um. I did a wedding in uh, Glenwood, Iowa on Friday night. Um, and what does this wedding story have to do with what you just twisted in Philippians 3? Hmm. Okay, let me see. Staying on task, F. Continuing. The wedding started about 6.30, so about 5 o'clock I kind of headed over there. And I, I'd never been to this venue before. It's a really cool place. It's called The Fountains, and um, it's out on this hill. And it's, it's, it was a beautiful night, and it's a lovely place to have a wedding. Um, there's a, t a ton of people there, and uh, we're outside in this little... Uh, yeah, you can kind of see it there. Um, the place where I would do the ceremony was kind of in the... It would be on the, your left-hand center. Um, but I remember uh, this, the bride came up, and she was all nervous, and the groom was... Uh, he was so happy, and the parents were there and stuff. And um, during the first part of the wedding, you ask the question, um, that goes something like this. Uh, Katie, uh, will you have... Uh, Jason to be your husband to have an, to have him told from this day forward and all this kind of stuff. So I I read the first part of the question and you do it all at once. You don't take a break or anything. And I said, Katie, will you have Jason to be your husband? Yes, I do. I'm like, I'm not done yet, sweetheart. 
you got a lot of promises you got to make. <laughs> I'm like, Katie, will you have Jason to be your husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, uh, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as you both shall live. Now, you still up for doing this thing? <laughs> yes, I am. Okay, um, this is the kind of friend um, that I want in my life. And I have a feeling it's the type of friend uh, that you want uh, in your life as well. Um, you know, what, what I hope um, for all of us is that we can have friends that are absolutely committed to us. Um, I hope that we have friends. Uh, <clears throat> Craig, um, you are a Christian pastor, and um, all of us has this friend, if you would. His name is Jesus, completely faithful, perfectly righteous. Doesn't He'll never leave us or forsake us. He offers us his righteousness as a gift by faith. And it's all about him. Christianity, yeah, it's all about him. What's this friend stuff that you're talking about? Why aren't you pointing us to Christ? That can just uh, help us out and help us get to where we want to go in life. Um, I would just love it if I was surrounded by people. Um, it could be my spouse. Um, it could be uh, uh, co-workers. It could be people that we go to school with. It could be our neighbors. Could it be Jesus? Could could it possibly be Jesus? I would just absolutely love it. Um, and I would experience hope from other people. Um, I would experience that, you know, tomorrow... You would experience hope from other people. Wow, that's deep. Tomorrow can be better than today. Um, if we have these types of people in our life... Now, I think the best way for each of us... Um, to surround ourselves with these people is to be this kind of friend. To know that when times get tough, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, and sickness and health, we're going to be there for other people. You know, if we want to have these types of friends, I think the best way to do it is to, uh, to be these types of friends. Yeah. Um, uh, again, um, open the book and start reading. Preach the book in context. You'd be surprised what it te- actually teaches. Yeah, one of the ways that we get through tough times is through the help of God, but God helps us through the help of other people. I, believe me, I know all about the God's, needing God's help through tough times because I'm having a tough time getting through the sermon because God's uh, barely making any appearances at all. Um, I encourage us to invest time um, and to make these relationships real and to make these relationships happen. I believe that tomorrow can be better than today, and I believe that people will help us get there. Um, there's a, this little uh, corny joke I was telling the uh, weddings as well, and it's uh, the girl um, goes up and she asks the mom, Mom, why is the bride wearing white? And the mom goes, Well, white is a color of joy and it's a color of purity, and this is uh, supposed to be the happiest, the best day of her life. And the little girl thinks about it for a second, and she's like, why is the groom wearing black? <laughs> you know, uh, Einstein says we can learn from yesterday, we can live for today, we can, uh, we can hope for tomorrow. Um, you know, the Bible... Because the Holy Spirit inspired Einstein to say that. Whew. It's full of these wonderful stories. Uh, you know, Paul sharing his hope with Timothy... Um, Telling him that the best is still to come. Uh, Ruth and Naomi make. <laughs> Where? <laughs> uh, by the way, um, Timothy's dead. I don't know if you know that. He's dead. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, because Paul wrote to Timothy, if he said his best days was... <sighs> um, you know, if Timothy's bones even still exist, um, yeah, he's he's pretty much gone, dude. He he never got to Twitter. Timothy doesn't have a Facebook account. Doesn't own a laptop. Never made it to the 20th century, man. Like, not even close. Making it through the tough times in life together. Uh, David offering kindness and grace to this little uh, crippled boy, Mephibosheth. Um, Jesus, really, just... <laughs> Adventures in missing the point. Oh, come on, Craig. Do, do you know how to preach God's word? Did they teach you that at the seminary? The, did you go to seminary? It's embracing the whole world and telling them about the love of God. Showing them about uh, you know, the love story that God wants to be in a relationship with you. All right, the next thing I want us to think about is that uh, life is never hopeless. I want to go to uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. Um, at this point, um, Noah has built this big ship. And he's Why we are all over the map in the Bible now. We're like all over. We got into the beginning part. We're near the end. Woo, we're covering some tracks here. He's got all these animals on the ship with him. There's some family on the ship with him. Noah is, uh, you know, to the point in his life where uh, he's kind of struggling. He's like, man, I mean, this rainstorm has got to end sometime. Kind of struggling. Dude. Listen, Craig, none of us even can remotely relate with what Noah went through. Not even close. All of humanity wiped out. The only human beings left on the whole planet are in this coffin-shaped barge. Gone. Everybody's gone. Dead, wiped out. I can't be on this uh, boat forever. Um, you know, so uh, here's what happens in uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. Um, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind uh, to blow across the earth, and the floodwaters began to recede. Okay, now none of us have been in the exact same position that Noah was in, but all of us have been and will be in a situation similar to what Noah was. We've all had floodwaters come. <laughs> Only if you allegorize the story. Only if you take Noah's historical real account that he actually lived through and treat it so ridiculously allegorically that now all of a sudden... You see, all of us, we're going to have floodwaters come into our lives, too. And, you see, God wants us to have the same attitude like Noah so that we can just get through it. You see, because the floodwaters are going to come into our lives, too. Completely an allegorical way of treating God's word, and this is not how you read God's word. Um, in our life. I'm not talking about the stuff that comes from the sky. I'm talking about stuff that just comes because it comes. You know, some of us... Uh, are going to get a phone call from the doctor one day with bad news. Um, yeah, I told yep. you about that, but you said earlier that our best days are still ahead, and hope is knowing that, that oh, man. 
you know, some of us are going to be really surprised by um, something that somebody who really loves us does to us and it hurts us. Um, you know, some of us are going to unexpectedly uh, lose a job. Um, you know, heaven forbid, some of it want, I mean, somebody in this room, if you haven't received it already, um, is going to get a phone call from a, a police officer. Um, you know, bad things happen. That's just a fact of life. Um, but there's always hope. God says in Isaiah uh, chapter 43, um, when the waters rise and when the floods come, he doesn't say if, he says when. When these things come, do not be afraid. I love those words, do not be afraid. And he always con- uh, continues, um, do not be afraid for I am with you. you know, I'm holding you in my arms. I'm loving you like you're the only person that there is to be loved. You know, life is its never hopeless. Um, Scott Rigsby is a person that probably most of you aren't familiar with. Um, in 1995, Scott Rigsby was in a, a serious automobile accident. He almost lost his life. He was um, amputated, uh, both legs just right above his knees. Um, it was uh, off and on for Scott for a long time. Um, it turned out that... Uh, he was going to live, and they said, you're never going to walk. Well, it turns out that they uh, have some prosthetics now that they put on him, and he was able to walk again. He was pretty active. He was uh, uh, a swimmer. He was in the military for a while, and here's a picture of him. Um, he had a dream, and he saw a, a television show one time, and the show featured uh, the Ironman triathlon. And he says, I'm going to do this thing. Well, this is an amazing story. Um, in 2007, in Kona, in Hawaii, in 16 hours and 42 minutes, he swam 2.4 miles um, just with his upper body. With his prosthetics on, he pedaled a bicycle over 112 miles. And in 85 to 90 degree temperatures with his prosthetic legs, he ran a full marathon. Um, Twelve years earlier, his life was hopeless, or at least he thought that it was. You know, in the movie that we watched, and it's, it's a wonderful movie. It's a brilliant movie. Um, this man had pretty much lost everything. Um, his wife left him. He couldn't sell this uh, product that he was supposed to sell to make a living. Um, he ended up losing his place. Uh, he had this... Uh, yep, I'm becoming pretty hopeless here that we're actually going to hear anything biblical or anything about Jesus Christ or anything about what Christianity really teaches. Whew. kid that was probably like 9 or 10 years old. Um, he would take the kid to the daycare during the day. Um, you know, he'd go and he'd try to get this job at the stockbroker place, and everything was against him. Life was hopeless. You know, the church that you saw in the video was uh, Glade Memorial United Methodist Church in uh, San Francisco, and they have a large homeless shelter. And there was many nights when he would go to this place, um, and it was already full because he was trying to work and he was trying to get ahead. So him and his kid, they would sleep in the uh, train or in the bus station. You know, life was hopeless. Until one day at the end of the movie, um, they call him into the office, and all these people that are competing to try to get to work with this firm, um, they said, you got the job. It's hope realized. It's dreams that come true. Yeah, I know just from looking around here, and I know many of you, and there's many of you I don't know, and I hope I get to know you. Um, I know that... There's something in your life right now that seems pretty hopeless. How'd you know? You're right. There is something that seems really hopeless. The sermon. 
But know that there's average people just like the rest of us that can overcome. That we can do great things in this world. Um, The guy without the legs uh, does a feat that most of us who are physically fit could never even dream of. You know, the homeless man with a kid. um, He gets a job. He makes millions of dollars. Now he uh, gives back to the community that he lives in. Life is never, ever hopeless. Um, Charles Allen says, When you say that a situation or a person is hopeless, what you're doing is slamming the door on the face of God. With God's help, there is no situation, there is no person, there is nothing that is hopeless. Okay, uh, the second to last thing is don't ever stop hoping. Um, In Micah chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, um, the prophet says, Someday, O Israel, I will gather you. I will gather the remnant who are left. I will bring you together, again, like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. Yes, your land will uh, be filled with noisy crowds. Your leader will break out and lead you out of exile, out of the gates of the enemy cities, back into your own land. Your king will lead you, and the Lord himself will guide you. Now, the moment that we stop hoping, um, the the moment that we stop knowing that there's a gift, the moment that we stop uh, uh, accepting the gift, the moment that we stop um, embracing the gift... I really believe that this is the moment in our lives when we stop living. I don't think it has much to do with our heart and our lungs. Uh, Did you just make that up yourself? Is that in the Bible? Wait a second. Are you supposed to be preaching your opinions? Or are you commanded by God to preach the word? Just wondering, you know. I think it has to do with our attitude. And I believe the moment that we give up on hope is also the same moment that we give up on life. There's always hope. There's always hope because there's always God. And the last thing I want you to know about hope is that hope is eternal. Uh-huh. You know, up to this point in this, uh, in this sermon, I've just talked about stuff that happens here on this world. <laughs> yeah, you've just been talking about stuff. Uh, you haven't really been teaching me what the Bible says at all because you keep ripping it out of context and just basically hanging Bible verses on your ideas. Um, that's not what you're supposed to be doing as a pastor. <sighs> but I want you to know that the most important type of hope that uh, any of us are going to experience uh, is hope that there can be eternal life with God. In- uh, here comes the gospel crumb, the gospel nugget. Hang on a second here. Got to mark. Uh, we're at uh, 26, 27. Okay, just uh, marking where this the gospel nugget makes its appearance in the sermon. Hang on. In heaven. You know, uh, earlier we read that this is uh, through the grace and through the gift of Jesus Christ. You know, a few weeks ago we were here on Easter Sunday. Um, and the message was the exact same message that it is today. The hope is that for those of us as Christians, um, for those of us who follow Jesus, for those of us... Uh, who love God with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our strength and all of our soul, at least those of us who try. Um, the, the message is that the end... Um, Did you hear that? I want you to listen to what he said. Those of us who love God with all of our souls, uh, souls all of our minds, all of our soul, well, at least those who, of us who try. That's the law. That's not the gospel. No. The gospel is God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world oh boy got to do a little work here um hang on a second here um john chapter three want to make sure i got this all in context there's something i don't want to miss here 
Um, okay, let's see. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So no, there is no hope for you if you're trying to make it into heaven by trying hard, doing your best, loving God with all of your heart. There, That's actually the definition of a hopeless situation because you're trying to be saved by the law. Let me back this up because I want you to hear what he said again. Uh-huh. Here we go. It's hope that there can be eternal life with God in heaven. You know, uh, earlier we read that this is uh, through the grace and through the gift of Jesus Christ. You know, a few weeks ago we were here on Easter Sunday. Um, and the message was the exact same message that it is today. The hope is that for those of us as Christians, um, for those of us who follow Jesus, for those of us... Uh, who love God with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our strength and all of our soul, at least those of us who try. Oh, dude, you don't understand God's grace at all. You don't understand that salvation is by grace through faith. For those who have faith, who believe, who trust in Christ, what you've just described is the law. Um, the, the message is that the end um, is not death. The end is life. In this particular case, since you think you're ba- you're there because you love God with all of your heart or just try, uh, no, there's no life for you. That What faces you is judgment because you don't really believe and trust in the promises of God. You're trying to do it yourself. And that is our ultimate hope. You know, even if things in this world don't work out exactly the way that, that we want them to work out... Um, There's a hope for us beyond what we can even imagine. Um, Uh, Just so those of you at home keeping score, I want to let you know how I scored that one. The Gospel Nugget actually came in at Warp Factor 3. And the reason why it was so fast is because what little mention there was of grace got immediately snatched away by the love God with all your heart or at least try your best. In this world. You know, so I pray for all of us uh, that if you're going through a tough time right now and for all of those of us uh, who will go through tough times in the future, I pray that you believe, and I pray that, I pray that you can leave this place believing that uh, tomorrow can be better than today. Um, I pray that you can embrace this gift of hope that uh, God keeps giving to us. I pray that our outlook on life isn't on the empty side, but it's on the full side. I pray that uh, we don't let situations and we don't let the world ruin us, but we say, you know, I'm going to hope. And I'm- yeah, I pray for you, uh, Craig, that uh, you would actually... Put your face into the book. Start reading it in context. Stop preaching the law. Stop preaching these sappy, feel-good sermons about hope and hope. And preach about the one hope that humanity has, and that's in Jesus Christ, who came to earth, God in human flesh, lived a perfect life for you and for me. Under the Mosaic law, he was perfectly righteous. He died in our place took our punishment upon himself on the cross and is offering us a full and complete pardon for sins, salvation free for all who believe, who trust. I'm going to believe and I'm going to keep on working. I'm going to keep on praying because I have a God who loves me and because I want to make a difference in this world. And at the end of the day, I pray that all of us have this. This is just lame, vacuous, surfacey, it's stupid. It's not even Christianity. This hope that the end is not death, but the end is life. So let us pray. 
All right, we're done. Oh, man. You know, it's really frustrating. There will definitely be an emergency gospel sermon posted on iTunes tonight for those of you who uh, <clears throat> need to hear the gospel after listening to that schlock. But pay close attention. What did you hear at the end there? Basically, the sermon was a ho- it was about hope and hope and uh, overcoming hopelessness. But in in reality, if you listened to what it is that he was actually teaching and you tried to apply it, you would find yourself more hopeless than ever because you don't truly love God with all your heart. And how do you know you've tried hard enough and that you really do have the hope of heaven? Because it really wasn't clearly held out. Christ and him crucified for our sins was not proclaimed, was not exalted. Christ and his glory was not exalted. Not in the sermon. Uh, But I think we did figure out how to weave that in in our sermon review. One of the sneaky things about what we do here at Fighting for the Faith is we use bad sermons as a stepping off point to where to show you where good teaching should go, what it should look like, what it should sound like. And if you find Fighting for the Faith and these sermon reviews and the work that we do here at Fighting for the Faith beneficial in helping you grow in your understanding of Christianity your understanding of the gospel, how to defend the Christian faith, how to think biblically, and how to think critically, uh, then we would really like you to consider, more than consider, do it, partner with us, uh, because your financial support is vital for fighting for the faith to continue operating. And you can uh, partner with us by visiting fightingforthefaith.com, clicking on the donate button. We have many of them there at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Well, sadly, we are at the end of another program. And I'd like to thank you for staying with us and uh, sticking it out. And, you know, I know it's on these difficult, on these tough, bad, ugly sermons, it's difficult to do that at times. Uh, but like I said, we sneak in a lot of gospel here. So I uh, want to remind you, you can email me at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or follow me on Facebook. Actually, ask to be my friend on Facebook, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there is Pirate Christian. Name on Facebook is Chris Roseboro. Hey, until next time, may God bless you.